Amen. Remain standing and let's go to the book of Hebrews this morning. Uh, Chapter 10 is where we're going to start at. Hebrews chapter 10. And uh, today we are continuing our series that we began last Sunday on a foundation of faith. Last week we studied what is faith, what it's not, and the importance of faith. Today we're going to look at faith that endures. Faith that endures. There in Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse number 38, and we'll read uh, through to chapter 11, verse 3. The Word of God says, Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of the things that do appear. Brother John Haywood, would you pray for us? Amen. You may be seated uh, this morning. As I mentioned last week, this year will be, I believe, a year of faith building for our church. So what we're trying to do at the beginning of this year is to lay a foundation of faith to prepare our hearts spiritually for when the Lord does call us to trust him in a greater way. This morning we will study the topic of the perseverance of the saints, also referred to as eternal security. Um, Before anybody ever lays a foundation, there's work to be done. You don't just go in and start pouring concrete somewhere. Uh, There's a lot of work to be done, actually. You have to prepare the site. You have to do the the groundwork, clear debris, and and you got to move some dirt out of the way. And really, that's what we're doing today. Before we move any further into our, excuse me, uh, foundation of faith, we need to understand what it means to have true saving faith. And as I hope you see today, a true saving faith is a faith that endures. After all, how can you live a life of faith if you're not even certain you're in the faith to begin with? Um, Sometimes I have a bad habit of doing this. I'm sure many of you struggle with this as well. When we come to those favorite verses, the favorite chapters that we have in the Bible, Sometimes we make the mistake of sort of hopping over the context of that chapter or that passage to hurry up and get to those verses that we love so much. And uh, today what we're going to do is step back a little bit in Hebrews 10, which will really lay for us the foundation, the groundwork for Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, The last handful of verses from Hebrews chapter 10 move the dirt for Hebrews 11. They prepare the site for the foundation of faith to be laid. Now, let me remind you about something really important of of the book of Hebrews. 
Hebrews was a letter written to a group of Jewish people who professed belief in the Messiah. But among those were truly believers and unbelievers, those who had not come all the way to Christ. They had attached themselves externally to the church, but internally they never received salvation. They had entered the congregation, but they had not entered Christ. Outwardly, they were with the assembly. Inwardly, they were spiritually dead. And I think the sad reality is that in whatever church you go to, whatever Christian church, you will find this to be the case. There are those who are truly in Christ, and then there are those who outwardly are attached to the church, but inwardly they have never been born again. Like the people, or the recipients of this letter, they were right there at the door of salvation, almost ready to enter the narrow gate. And the author is pleading with them, don't draw back, don't turn away to damnation, but rather come all the way to Christ. Now, as we study this issue of eternal security, I, under, I understand this is a very debated topic in Scripture. Um, there are few doctrines that I have more certainty about than eternal security. It is one of the clearest teachings of God's Word. And you might think, well, Nathan, do you, uh, you believe that once you're saved, you're always saved? I would say absolutely Without a shadow of a doubt, once you are in Christ, there is nothing that can ever separate you from his love. Now, you might think, well, well, I know people just as confident as you, but they believe the opposite. And I'm sure that's true. But here's the reality. One of us is wrong. Either you can lose salvation or you can't, but there's no in-between. Now, here's how the question is usually asked. What about the person? And it's a hypothetical situation. Maybe you know someone like this. What about the person who gets saved? And then later down the road, they're completely out of church. They're living an, an immoral, wicked lifestyle. As a matter of fact, Pastor Nate, they don't even claim to believe in God anymore. Are you telling me that that person is still saved? Here's the difference. The difference is you might believe they were saved and now they're not. They had it and then they lost it. They were in and then they were kicked out. But I want you to understand the implications of that belief. That means at one point in time, they became a sheep in the flock of Christ, and then they became a goat again. They were secure in the right hand of God, then they pried themselves out. They were adopted by God, and then they were readopted by the devil. They were a child of God, and then God removed them from his family. Jesus has them, and then Jesus goes back on his own promise and loses them. 
their sins were forgiven and, as the Bible says, remembered no more, but then they were remembered again. They were found, and now they're lost again. They were reconciled to God, but now God is their enemy once again. Their eternal life began, you know, eternal life. The definition is that it has no what? Ending. Their eternal life started in that eternal life which does not end, it stopped. They were in the book of life, and then their name was removed. They were given an inheritance in heaven, but then it was taken away. They were redeemed by the blood, bought by Christ, but now the payment has been refunded. They were accepted in the beloved, but now they're rejected again. They were made free from the penalty of sin, but now they're placed back in chains. They were saved from being under the wrath of God, but now they're placed back under the wrath of God. They were sealed with the Holy Spirit, but now that seal of God has been broken. And when you say you can lose salvation, that's what you're saying. Now, here's the difference. Many believe a person can have all of that and then lose it all. They had it and then they lost it. Here's the difference. I believe the Bible teaches they never had it to begin with. That's the difference. They were never forgiven. They were never his sheep in his flock. They were never in his hand to be pried out. They were never his child. They were never adopted. They were never reconciled. They were never redeemed. Their eternal life never started. They were never in the book of life. They never had an inheritance in heaven. They were never bought with the blood. They were never made free. They were always under the wrath of God. They were never sealed. They didn't lose it. They never had it. And that's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 20. This is one of the scariest passages of the Bible. Wherefore, by their fruits... Ye shall know them. That's important. Verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Verse 22 says, Many, not a, a few, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? Verse 23 and then will I profess unto them, I don't know you anymore. I used to know you, but now I don't. You were mine, but, but now you're not. You were in, now you're out. I had you, now I lost you. Is that what he says? No, he says, I never knew you. You were never mine. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity that is the difference they never lost it because they never had it in the first place the gospel reached their head but never their heart and how do we know this how do we know the gospel didn't take root in their heart because their faith did not endure and if it was true saving faith it would endure that's what hebrews 11 is all about by the way 
Think about it. Let me reread those first two verses from Hebrews 10. Verse 38, look there with me. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. And after he writes that, the author goes on to pen Hebrews 11, which is a record of men and women who what? Did not draw back, but they lived by faith. Rather, their life was characterized by faith, not characterized by perfection or sinlessness, but faith that endures. There are two categories of people described here in our opening passage. You have those who are truly saved, which is evidenced by a life of faith they live. And then the other category are those who appear saved, but prove by their life that they aren't. And how do they prove that? Their faith does not endure. Let's look deeper at these two categories. In verse number 38 of Hebrews 10, guys, if you could leave this verse up for a little bit as I, as I walk through it here. It begins by saying, now the just. Okay, well, who are the just? Those who have been made righteous by placing their faith in Christ. They are justified. And what do those who have truly been made righteous do? What do the just do? They live by faith. Uh, they don't just start with an appearance of faith. They don't just pray a prayer. They aren't the ones who clean up their life a little bit. No, those who have been forgiven and washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, those who have entered into a saving covenant with Almighty God, those people, the justified ones, the righteous ones, will live by faith. Those who are truly saved will not show you a glimpse of faith or just some positive morality in their life. Their life will be a continual display of their faith. There are times where the just stumble. There are times where those who have been made righteous fall into temptation. Those who are just will struggle with sin for the entirety of their Christian lives. We will fail God even after being saved. As a matter of fact, just see Hebrews 11 for a list of people who sinned. If we were to study the resume of those in Hebrews 11, just from the eye test, we would look at some of them and think, what's that guy doing in there? <laughs> what's she doing in there? What's he doing in there? Aren't you glad that our lives aren't written and recorded for all people of all time to read? Amen? Yet we see their failures. That's how you know the Bible is a true book, because the authors included their own sins. They included those who denied, those who committed adultery, those who lied, those who deceived, those who committed sexual sin, and many of them are in the hall of faith. The Bible does not teach that those who are just will be perfect here on earth. That's not what the Bible teaches. No, it teaches we are made holy, but also commanded to be holy. 
we are made righteous and commanded to live righteously. This is called the process of sanctification. Daily dying to ourselves, our will, our wants, the old man, and becoming more and more like Jesus, our Savior. It's a spiritual process, and it's a hard process, isn't it? It's not easy getting sanctified. It hurts, but it is a process. However, if the Lord began that process in you, he will finish it. Paul writes in Philippians 1, verse number 6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. If the work started in you, God will continue that work until he brings you home to glory. So the question is not, did the work stop, or start rather, but then along the line somewhere it stopped. The question is, if that work isn't continuing in you today, did it ever start in the first place is the better question. You're not going to convince me uh, that someone is truly in Christ because they walked an aisle 20 years ago and ever since been living like the devil. That kind of salvation, that fire insurance, some people call it, that type of salvation that allows you to pray a prayer and then live a worldly life characterized by habitual sin is a salvation the Bible knows nothing of. That is not the salvation Jesus died to secure. Spurgeon said, a pardoned sinner will hate the sins which cost the Savior's blood. So you're not going to convince me that you live like hell and you're on your way to heaven. Now again, people would say, "Are you so you think somebody can just pray a prayer, they can get saved and then live the rest of their life like not walking in obedience to God at all?" I would say, "No, I just don't think that person ever got saved in the first place." If they get saved and their next response is, "How much can I sin?" Paul said, God forbid, if that's your heart, you don't understand the gospel. That's not what it means to repent of your sin. J.C. Ryle said, sin forsaken is one of the best evidences of sin forgiven. 1 Corinthians 15, verse number 1, Paul writes, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. You see, those who are truly saved don't just believe initially. If they truly believed, they would keep believing. Notice it says at the end of this verse, they receive the gospel, and wherein ye stand. Now the question we often ask people is, have you ever received the gospel? And that's an okay question. But a better question might be, are you standing in the gospel now? Received is past tense. Standing is present tense. To put it another way, if you are not standing present tense in the gospel now, that's a good indication that you never received the gospel past tense then. Does that make sense? Are you standing in the gospel today? 
Did you simply make a superficial decision years ago, or does the fruit of your life prove that you are in the gospel? They received the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, 2, the next verse says this, By which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you. Is he saying, well, we have to work to keep ourselves saved? No, that's not what he's saying. If ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. Unless you have believed in vain. There it is. It's not a matter of believing and then losing it. Remember our two categories. You have those who truly believe and those who believe in vain. Their belief is empty. It's not possible for a believer to be lost, but it is possible that your belief was in vain. Now, we might say, uh, well, you can't judge a book by its cover. But actually, Jesus never said that. He kind of said the opposite. When he said, you will know them by their what? Fruits. He doesn't say you'll know them by what's on the inside or you'll know them by their heart. He said you will know them by their actions. This true, enduring faith, you can recognize a lot more by their works than their words, more by their life than their lips. Because someone says, I believe, and they make a profession of faith, that doesn't make them a Christian. John 8, verse number 30, Jesus dealt with people who, quote-unquote, believed. It says he spake these words. Many believed on him. We say, praise the Lord, many got saved. Hang on. Jesus puts a stipulation on it. Verse 31, then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, if, if. Ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. You see, perseverance is one of the distinguishing characteristics of a child of God. That's why Hebrews 10, verse 38 says, The just shall live or keep living by faith. And then it says, But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him the individual who draws back proves their apostasy a faith that endures does not earn salvation it proves salvation let me say that again please don't miss that a faith that endures does not earn salvation it proves salvation and the individual who shrinks back from the gospel is demonstrating their lack of faith. If you only believe for a while, for a while. Well, I know someone who believed. They don't believe anymore. So they believe for a while? That means they never believed at all. Remember the parable of the soils that Jesus told? He talked about the sower and the seed, and the sower went out, and he's sowing seed. And some of it fell by the wayside, some of it fell on stony ground, some of it fell among thorns, and some of it fell on the good ground. And he told that story, and the apostles were like, oh, what? <laughs> what did you say? <laughs> what does that mean? I love that when it includes stuff like that. The apostles are like, hmm, you can imagine them. And then when they get alone with Jesus, they're like, hey, what did you, what was that again? Well, can you explain that to us? 
I'm glad Jesus explains it. In Luke 8, verse number 11, he lays it out. Now the parable is this. Thank you, Lord. The seed is the word of God. Well, that's pretty simple. The seed is the word. We could say it's the gospel. Verse 12. Those by the wayside are they that hear, then cometh the devil, and taketh away the word out of their hearts. Let me pause there. You say, wait a second. They were saved. The word was in their hearts, right? No, no, no. The rest of the verse says, lest they should believe and be saved. They were never saved. They heard it. They had an intellectual idea about it. But they do not believe unto salvation. Verse number 13. They on the rock are they, which when they hear, notice this, receive the word with joy. Man, this is it. These folks are saved. They receive the word with joy. They're not. It says, and these have no root. It never takes root. But says, which for a while believe, when or and in time of temptation fall away. Doesn't that sound like verse 38 of Hebrews? They draw back. They believe for a while, but given enough time, they prove it never took root. Verse number 14. And that which fell among thorns are they, which when they have heard, go forth, or they shoot up. You think, oh, this is taking root. Look, it's, it's growing. And are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life. And what's the difference? And bring no fruit to perfection. What did Jesus say? You will know them by their fruit. And here are those who shoot up. They hear it. They believe. But their belief is vain because there is no fruit. Then verse 15. But that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it. They don't draw back. And bring forth fruit, as Jesus said, with patience. You know, a synonym for patience? Endurance. Their faith endures. The believer's enduring attachment to Christ is the greatest evidence that they have not believed in vain. This wasn't the only story Jesus told about farming or harvesting. He actually told another parable shortly after this. In Matthew 13, verse 24, he tells the story of the tares and the wheat. Let me read through this, and then I'll explain. It says, Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. Verse 25, But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Verse 30, Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, 
Gather ye together first the tares, bind them in bundles, and burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. The story is told. Jesus says, there's a man who sowed good seed, but while he was sleeping, the enemy came in, and he sowed, he planted something else among the good crop, among the wheat. He planted tares. Now, I I wish I would have put up a picture here, but if you were to look at tares and wheat beside each other, they are almost indistinguishable. They look almost identical. And the only way... From an untrained eye, you would be able to tell the difference between the fake and the real, or the real bring forth fruit, and the tares don't. Given enough time, the tares reveal themselves. And what's interesting is that the servants say, do you want us to go in and pull the tares out? And the master says, no, let them grow together. Is this not what we find in the church today? There are those who truly believe, and there are those who make a vain, empty decision, and it never takes root in the heart. And God says, rather than pluck out the tares now, he said, I'm going to let them grow together. One day, the harvest will come, the tares will be gathered first, and they will be burned And the good wheat, it will be brought into my barn. At first, the difference between the two types of plants was undetectable. But as time went on, the weeds were seen for what they were. In the same way, in any given church today, including our church, there may be true born-again believers side-by-side with pretenders. Those who enjoy the message, the music, the fellowship, but have never repented of their sins and accepted Christ by faith. And to any human observer, the true believer and the pretender look identical. Only God can see the heart. Given enough time, however, they will reveal themselves. Last week, I had to make a phone call to... Um, the airport. We're, uh, we're taking a missions team to Honduras. We're leaving tomorrow. Um, we've been talking about that a little bit. And so be in prayer for us. Uh, we're going Monday to Monday. But as I called the airport, I was had a few questions about our group reservation. And I don't know if you noticed some companies, they're doing away with just being on hold. But they'll say, if you'd like a call back, press this button. And I, I don't like to wait. I'd rather not listen to elevator music for 10 minutes. So I thought, I'll, I just always take the call back. Yes, call me late. You call me, all right? I'm not calling you and waiting. You call me. And so uh, press one. Doop, press one. At the tone, say your name. And when you're finished, press any button. I'm like, doop. Nathan Woodworth, press the button. And then it's like, all right, you should. Nathan Woodworth, and it repeats. And then you realize how dumb you sound as you talk, all right? Sometimes people say, do you listen to your sermons? No, I don't listen to my sermons. <laughs> you think I'd want to listen to this? So, uh then it's okay, and it's like, you will receive a call back in like five to seven minutes or something. And as it's saying that, as the recording is being played back to me, I get a phone call, and I'm like, no. 
it can't be. And uh, it was an unknown number. It wasn't my friend Scam Likely. All right, some of you guys know him. Uh, you have him in your contacts. So I thought, eh, maybe it is. So I, <laughs> so I answered. I, I ended the call with the other one and answered this one as it was telling me I'll receive a call back in five to seven minutes. And then it's like, this is your call back. And uh, I was like, praise the Lord. <laughs> that was kind of redundant, but uh, it got the point across. And I thought, man, that was a quick turnaround. And, you know, when it comes to this, this story, this parable, the tares and the wheat, sometimes to us, it is never revealed to us. And it's not until judgment day that it is shown who the wheat and the tares are. Sometimes it may take a couple months to reveal itself. Somebody comes in, they pray a prayer, they're excited, they're fired up, they want to get baptized the next week, then they join discipleship groups, and then three months later, you can't find them with a search warrant. And it's like, what happened? Uh, and and you, you try to talk to, hey, what's going on? And it's almost as if they have no desire now for anything spiritual. No drawing to God. They made, they prayed, they got saved. And now nothing, like flatline. And we, we start to think, man, what changed? That's the wrong thing to think. The truth is, they never changed to begin with. It may take a year. It could take 20 years. Given enough time, when someone draws back, they do not lose their salvation. They prove they were never justified in the first place. 1 John 2.19, this is such an important passage when it comes to this topic. You say, but man, Pastor, I don't know. I, I've, I've known some people, and I, I know that they were saved. 1 John 2.19 says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. They would have endured. But they went out. In other words, they drew back that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us by leaving by drawing back they don't prove that they were with us and now they're not no they prove what has always been the reality they were not of us and by their drawing back they manifest that they were not of us you know i made a, a young lady really upset one time as I was teaching on this subject of eternal security, and she said, wait a second, I knew a person, it was a friend of hers, a girl, she said, I knew a girl that got saved, and I know she got saved, because she was different, and, and she got baptized, and she was on fire for the Lord, and she was telling people about Jesus, and she was coming to church, and she was excited, but if you were to ask her today, she says she doesn't even believe in God. So Pastor Nathan, are you telling me that she didn't lose her salvation? You have to understand what she's doing. She is, she is basing her belief not on the word of God, but on her own experience with another sinner. Isn't that what the parable of the soils kind of told us? 
They received it with joy. But it didn't take root. Perseverance is not the means of our salvation. It is the proof of our salvation. Say, Pastor, you can't convince me that a person I know can be completely sold out for Jesus, on fire, witnessing to others, attending church, they're baptized, serving in the local church, reading their Bible, they're praying. There's no way a person can live like that for years and not truly be saved. You mean like Judas? You know, sometimes we read and we have the benefit of knowing from the get-go that Judas was the betrayer. It tells us that as soon as it mentions his name. Judas the betrayer from the get-go. Did the disciples know he was? No. As a matter of fact, on the night that Judas would leave to betray him, Jesus said, one of you will betray me. And you know what the disciples said? Is it I, Lord? They weren't pointing to Judas. Oh, yeah, we've seen this coming a mile away. This guy is no fruit. He is from the beginning. We knew he was different, Jesus. No, they say, is it me, Lord? And Jesus goes out, or Judas goes out, he leaves to betray Jesus. Jesus and the rest of the disciples leave to head to the Garden of Gethsemane. On their way, very likely, they would have passed under a certain gate, and on the front of that gate was a large golden grapevine. And it's likely that there, Jesus turns to his disciples and he says what? I am the true vine. You are the branches. He says there are good vines, Good branches and bad branches. I wonder, who do you think he was talking about? The good were the disciples that were there. But then the bad branches, who was that? That was Judas. And how do we know it's a bad branch? Because it does not bear fruit. It draws back. Judas, of all people, is an example of one who was exposed to the light of the world and yet he chose to shrink back. He never came all the way to Christ. It said that he kissed the door of heaven, and then he went to hell. He didn't lose it. He never had it. Jesus called him the son of damnation. He said he didn't have it. Why do you think in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5, Paul the apostle is so adamant when he says, examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Wow. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates? We're told to test our faith. Are you truly in Christ? I think every Christian at some point in time has probably asked themselves that question. Am I really saved? You know, when somebody comes to me and they're struggling with that, Pastor, I, sometimes I don't feel saved. I, I, am I really saved? You know what that's probably a good indication of? You are. And you're struggling, whether with your own sin. Maybe you've separated yourself from the flock of God. Paul says, examine yourselves. Make sure that you're in the faith. Those who apostatize are simply demonstrating they are not true believers, and they never were. Go back to Hebrews 10, verse 39, just quickly. Hebrews 10, verse 39. It says, But we 
are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. What hope this verse brings. The author says, but. We are not of them that draw back. The author doesn't want to convince those who are saved that they aren't. That's not my heart today. I'm not trying to scare you out of your salvation. No, he wants to convince those who aren't to come all the way to Christ. But he identifies himself with the recipients and says, we are not those, you know, those who have a flicker of salvation in the beginning, but then fizzle out. We are not of them who draw back. He doesn't think everyone he's writing to is an apostate. We are not of those that go back, but rather we believe to the saving of the soul. Friend, it's one thing to believe, it's something else to believe to the saving of the soul. Lots of people believed. Many people in Jesus' day believed, but when the bread stopped coming, they stopped coming. As a matter of fact, it says in John's gospel, many believed when he did these mighty works. But later, as Jesus started talking, it says many turned away and followed him no more. So did they lose it? No. They never had it. Jesus said, no man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. It's one thing to believe. It's something else to believe to the saving of the soul. The Bible says the devils believe and they tremble. How do you know that someone has true saving faith? Well, we're not the Holy Spirit. So it's not our job to go around saying they're the saved, they're not, they're the saved. But how do we know? They don't draw back. Yes, you can struggle, maybe even with belief. You can fall into sin. I mean, Peter, anybody? <laughs> David? These, David's in the Hall of Faith. I look at that guy's resume and I think, ah, oh, pretty good, except for this one glaring mistake that is, I don't know, pretty horrible. You would think it would disqualify the guy. If he was going to lose it, that's when he'd lose it. But he's still in there. It doesn't mean you won't struggle. It doesn't mean you won't sin. Jude, verses 24 and verse 25 says, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. Say, we just got to make sure you don't do enough, you'll, you'll fall. No, no, no. He keeps you from falling. And what does he do? He presents you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Verse 25, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. This doesn't mean that you won't have trouble. It doesn't mean you won't fall down. What it means is that in the history of redemption, God has never allowed one of his children to slip from his hand in his eternal security. But it is possible 
you just never had it. You can't lose it. Eternal life would not be eternal if it could be lost. But it's possible you never had it. Romans 8, verse number 30, says, Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. Please, please don't miss this process. If you answer the call of salvation, he justifies you. And anyone who has ever been justified, them he also glorified. That's a future event, folks. But he says if you've been justified, you will be glorified. It will happen. If you've been made righteous by faith, you will be glorified. Only faith that endures is true saving faith. All other faith, the faith that appears to fall away, proves it was never true to begin with. To deny the doctrine of perseverance virtually makes salvation of man dependent on the human will rather than the grace of God. I don't know if you understand that, what you're saying if you think you can lose your salvation. I hope you come back tonight. We're going to dive into this a little bit deeper. But suffice it to say this, if you think you can lose it, that means you think your salvation depends on you and not God's grace. You find a scripture that teaches that. Ironside said this, salvation was like Noah inviting a pagan in his day to place his trust in God's word and to come into the ark. He said, that's what salvation is like. Some view salvation like Noah offering to put a peg on the outside of the ark and telling you, if you just hang on through the storms, you'll be saved. Salvation is not dependent on your holding on to God, but on being held by Christ and in Christ. That's why 1 Peter 1, verse 5 says this, who are kept by the power of God, not your power. Kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Would you stand with me this morning? As you stand, if you would bow with me for just a, a few moments. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Before we begin our time of invitation, maybe I should just ask this. I'm not asking, hey, at some point in time, in your past, long ago, did you say some words? No, the real question is, are you standing in the gospel today? If you're not standing in the gospel now, that's a good in indication that you did not receive the gospel then the worst possible thing for me as a pastor would be for someone to come in here to have a head knowledge to be like the the rocky soil where you receive it intellectually but it never takes root i encourage you this morning examine yourselves whether ye be in the faith and if you're not friend why not make sure of that 
today, even if you wonder, why not make sure? I'm not seeking to talk you out of your salvation, just like the author of Hebrews. What I'm hoping to do is if you're right at the door, you're right there, I'm inviting you and pleading with you, go all the way to Christ. Don't draw back. Believe to the saving of your soul. Christian, maybe this is an area that you've struggled with. How can you live a life of faith if you question every day whether you're even in the faith? Let us be sure of this. Even though we may struggle with the concept of eternal security, it does not change the truth that if you are in Christ, you are in his hand and nothing and no one will ever separate you from his love. Take faith and hope in that this morning. God, we praise you for this security. We don't have to dread. We just sang this earlier, Lord. We don't have to dread whether or not we will be in eternity with you. And it's not because of us, Lord, but because of Christ, your son. It's not our power. Lord, we're not saved by our works and we are not kept saved by our works. Lord, let us lean wholly on you today. I pray for the one here who, if they're honest, they would admit they've been a pretender. They've never come all the way to Christ. Lord, I pray today they would. They would believe to the saving of the soul. They wouldn't turn away or draw back. They wouldn't kiss the door of heaven and go to hell. But please save them this morning. For the Christian who has struggled with this area, I pray that their heart would be encouraged today. You would remind them it's not up to them. You save them and you will keep them saved. We praise you for that truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.